0: The Lord be with you, everyone, and before I start, I want to give you a very quick rundown because I'm going to be in places where we could meet face-to-face, and so I think all of you know that I'll be in Alvin, which is part of Houston, Texas, on August the 4th, and all the details of that you'll find just behind my head. But then also, um, we have the Bible School, that is the, we're calling it Module 1, but it it really stands by itself. It is um, all day Friday, all day Saturday, and the subject, glorious subject, is union with the Holy Trinity. And it really lays out what I'm referring to all the time, in these uh, times we visit together. But this comes and places it, well, as I say, all day Friday, all day Saturday. And if we still have um, seats available. If anyone wants to join us, call our office. And then December the 6th through the 8th, that's our annual retreat in Kerrville, Texas. That is an experience you've got to have. Um, sometime or other, might as well be this year, and again, you can get all the details from the office. Something I haven't spoken of before, and I'm only mentioning it just to put a seed in your head, and that is June the 12th through the 13th in 2020. That is, um, well, next year, the summer of next year, But June 12th through 13th next year, we will be back in St. Petersburg, Florida. But this time we'll be in the Dolphin Beach Resort, which is a far better hotel. It's right on the beach, and um, they're just aching to get our business. And so it's going to be a great time. But as I say, that's a long way off. It is just to put a seed in your head if you might think and plan to go to Florida next year. Okay, I want to look at a text in 2 Corinthians in chapter 9. And um, I'll explain as we go. But the text, let me read the text. It's in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul is writing to them. Well, let me let me say it now. Paul is writing to them um, in chapter 8 and this chapter 9 concerning giving. I mean, financial giving. If anyone says the Bible doesn't say anything about giving money, um, read at least 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, because that's what it's all about. And um, there's plenty of others. But in the end of it, right there in the middle of chapter 9, there's the verse I'm going to talk about when in his looking at giving and the realization that in us there is placed this giving nature of God love that he takes off just for this verse and includes everything. He, he includes the greatness and the abundance of the grace of God and so I'm not going to look at this as a verse dealing with finances, but I must insist that it is in a chapter that does. And um, I it's not like me to ignore the general context. But I see, as I say again, he took this opportunity to just leap from finances only to grace in all of our life. And that's that's what gets a hold of me. So, okay, now let's read verse 7. Let each one of you do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly under compulsion. He's talking about giving of money there. Then, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful there is blatantly the word in English hilarious, the most extreme force of cheerfulness. And the Greek word there is almost the same as our English word hilarious. And there's no doubt about the meaning of the word. And so cheerful, in my opinion, is a rather weak insipid way of translating that word. God loves an hilarious giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always, having all sufficiency or infinitely enough in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You see what I mean? The word is The verse is tripping over itself in superlatives and is telling us this grace is infinitely bigger than you can ever imagine and invades every moment of our lives. And it begins with that God loves a cheerful giver. And I I might put it this way that that is what got him started, that if God loves a cheerful giver, if he loves one who gives with hilarity of joy, then he is himself the God who, when he gives, that is, when grace is operating, it is with the hilarity of God. Now, there are some... um theologians that would more than raise their eyebrows they might lose them when I say God is hilarious but that is what I find in the scripture that he is forever calling upon us to rejoice and not only rejoice but specifically rejoice with him and Jesus describes him as ever involved in celebration and the joy that he has in his relationship with us. And so, for me, it is no surprise that when speaking of the givingness of God, when speaking of grace, Paul introduces the idea of this God who, involved in giving, is hilarious in his giving. His joy knows no limit in terms of grace. Now, that verse is all about grace, as I think by now you know. Um, So I have to ask the question, and really, in my mind, I am just talking to you about this. It's not so much preaching. I, I just want to talk to you about this verse and what it contains. And so we have to begin somewhere. And the the topic of that verse is unquestionably the grace of God. Now, what do you mean when you say grace? You know, it, it's the famous song "Amazing Grace." Well, I have to ask the people, then, what is grace and what is so amazing about it? And many times I get a blank look. It's um, very—for many people, when they say grace, it's a very vague, fuzzy word that somehow means the undeserved help that God gives to me— But as I say, very vague, Uh, you know, God gives me grace, but it's somehow that I'm going to feel better than I would have at other times. I I get a a sort of of strength, but it's very vague. Uh, One chap said to me the other day when I asked him, he said, well, Grace, it's a life preserver that God throws to you when you're drowning. Well, um, no. Uh, that would make grace just a, a piece of, of, of rubber or something. And, and whereas the, that's obviously not what this verse is talking about. But that's what many people believe. He just gave an illustration to go with it. I, I think the word to most people, um, and the definition that has come down to us through decades and decades, is that it's undeserved favor. But most people have a job getting past undeserved. And when they think of grace, they think of themselves as being unworthy. And anything God gives to them, well, they're unworthy to have it. It's it's one of God's gifts, I know, but I'm unworthy. And you never really enjoy whatever grace is because you're always groveling at the very idea. Of receiving it. Okay, I don't know if you fit any of that, but get it out of the way. That, that's not grace. No, no, no. A thousand times, that's not grace. Grace can never be understood as impersonal, like the life preserver, or like that fuzzy cloud of, uh, I don't know, strength or something that drifts into your life. I say it again, the grace of God can never be understood as impersonal, nor can it ever be understood as a vague uh, feeling of something godish. ish um, God is not a thing that is thrown to us and not a thing that drifts into our life. Grace. And of course, the word means gift— incidentally it also um, it comes from the family of the words that mean joy and therefore a true translation would be joyous gift it is god in the act of giving to us but look at it clearer um it It tells me in John chapter 1, and if we had more time, that would be a chapter to go to right now and read it through carefully. In John chapter 1, it tells us that the unlimited fullness, it says grace without measure, the spirit without measure, came into humanity, into our human world. In and through Jesus, who is God come among us, becoming one of us. Grace came in Jesus. And today, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is giving to us the the grace of God. And, And so grace comes to us through Jesus... And it comes now into us through the Spirit of Christ and is therefore the, what can I say, intense, personal presence of the ascended Jesus through the Holy Spirit is sent right into our hearts from our Abba Father. This, this is very, 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 very specific. And what about um, Romans eight, where it says "He that spared not his only son that that's the the gift when God gives his very self, spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, then how shall he not with him freely give us all things, and there you got grace in a nutshell that the grace is the gift of God himself to us in Jesus, who is now in us through the Spirit, but with him, he says, freely give us all things. And so grace reaches out into all the dimensions of our life, Grace comes into the minute details of living and there floods that with the love of God and all that comes to us through Jesus. You could put it this way, that the love of God or the word I think you know, agape, God's unique love, that is the universal. You know what I mean? That is God is love. And therefore, I cannot turn around or move without confronting the love of God. Well, grace is the gift of that love, but in specific. And so to say God is love, well, that covers everything. But grace comes to me in the specifics of my life. He comes in the twist and the turn of every hour and day, and he is there revealing that love, manifesting that love in these minute details of life, applying the love of God so that the the goal of God, which is to be in union with us, is realized, realized in us, realized in our lives. And I say again, in every detail of life. So when I speak of the love of God in the act of being given to us moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance, that, that's grace. Do, do, do you get that? The love of God, sometimes when we say that, it, it, it almost sounds universal in our head. That means it's just God is love, so it covers everything. But when I say grace, that you know, when I got up this morning, I needed a specific grace to face the morning. And in facing it and living in it, I needed specific grace to be and do what it demanded. Well, now I am experiencing the specific grace and energy and strength and wisdom and insight of the Holy Spirit to be sitting down and talking to you. You see, now all of that is the love of God, but the grace of God is that love being applied to me nonstop. Now, can I I say this? In fact, you might have heard me talk this in the last couple or so weeks um, that we live and move. you know that scripture in him we live and move and have our being um, well did, did let that that in him, inside of this Father, Son, and holy Spirit we, we live therein is our life and we move, and are moved upon, and it's there that I discover my being, and the Greek word there would be better said, my I am, my, my union with him, I, I'm, I'm in him. That, that has arrested me in the last number of weeks, and, and to realize I, I'm living in him, I'm moving in him, in him I know who I am, and I, I have come to use the expression, I've used it um, over the years, but it's so real to me now. Um, I I live in a a sea, in in a sea of agape. Do you you understand? Uh, I, I live inside of this personal, immediate presence The God who is love, and it's like a sea. I'm like a fish that swims in the ocean, but I'm swimming inside of God himself. And I meet him at every second, for he is not up there or over there. or He is that in which I live. Does that make sense? I tell you another way of looking at it, that we live inside the the personal, all the intense unlimited personal energy the presence of god that is in me and around me and ahead of me and behind me and he's communicating his love to us i use this word energy and i know i know some people get upset i, I don't know why you do because it's in the bible uh, only unfortunately many times it's translated as work uh, what? No, I mean, the the Greek word is energia, and when it speaks of the resurrection of Jesus and that resurrection that reaches into us this very evening, um, the word there in the Greek uses the word energy. Um, It's a a Bible word, 100%, and if, if New Ages use it, well, they stole it from us. We had it first. The Bible describes this unearthly energy that is the person of our God who is love that is now released into our human dimension through the resurrection of Jesus. I live there. And the reason I've used it quite a bit in the last few weeks, um, for Father's Day, um, son Chris Um, made me uh, a place on the porch in the backyard where it made it all flowers, all flowers. And so I could sit in the middle. In old English, we would say it was a bower of flowers. And I go there and what can I say? i be, you know? There's a time to be, when you just be in the presence of God, and you be and realize who he is and who you are. And as I was sitting there and and being, I I became aware that I was sitting in, yeah, these words I'm trying to say here, a a sea of energy. and I realized it was the energy of God's love. Let, let, let me say what I mean. Because as I looked out and I, I saw these flowers and I saw beyond it the grass and the trees and and it, what life was there. I was surrounded by this energy of life. What, what made the flowers grow because they were bigger today than yesterday? What, what gave those incredible colors to the flowers? Or, oh, you know, science might tell us bits and pieces, but I'm asking, where did it come from? And, and the scripture says at that, that level of energy, creation level, um, or we might say the level of, of, of things growing and being, he, our Father did all of that, and He did it in and through Jesus. And it says in Genesis, it was the Holy Spirit that moved the energy that brought it into being. Oh yeah, don't don't get uh, lost in science that you can got some impersonal reason for it. Behind those flowers is the face of Jesus. It says in Him all things consist. They're together. Well, that's energy. And then I I heard all the crickets going nuts. And then beyond them I heard the cicadas in the trees. And then beyond them I heard the birds. And I realized, and this is a bit of science that when the birds sing, it makes the grass grow. Did you know that? Well, what does that? That's energy, the energy of song. And I realized I was surrounded by the worship of creation. Everything from buzzing bees to chirping crickets to the violins of the cicadas, I'm surrounded by it. And the wind came and and then would you hear that? That very night, I, I heard that the uh, desert of Africa, the Sahara, it sends a great cloud of dust across the southern portion of the states and the rest of America. And and, and we know about that here in San Antonio. It itches your eyes and everything. But do you know it's that desert dust that is actually the fertilizer of the Amazon jungle? Oh, come on. There's a conductor. This symphony didn't happen by chance. Are you nuts? Did you realize that not one second of what happens in my garden is, is, is by chance? There is an incredible wisdom. There is a majestic symphony going on there. If you just sit there and let it be, you hear it and see it. And then I realized, but I... I'm part of this level of energy, but I'm also, I am made in the image and likeness of God, and I belong to the higher energy, the energy of God's love that is known to me in the face of Jesus. When the energy of God's love, the personal Holy Spirit is dancing in me and witnessing with me that I am Abba's child. Now, that's where I'm coming from, that I live in the energy of the Holy Trinity. And energy, I mean, love that's in action. You see, some people look at God's love as a sort of passive something. He's just nice. He's a good God like an old grandfather rocking in his chair and smiling through his dotage at his little grandchildren. No, God's love is dynamic. God's love is active. God's love is energy in my life. He's He doesn't say he just likes me. He cares for me. He cares all around me. He's ahead of me preparing my way. He is my strength to carry me. You see what I mean? Because this energy is what makes real our union with him. I say it again. It's inside of him that we live. We're alive in him who is love. And we move, and he's moving upon us and with us. And there I discover my beingness, my amness. And all of that application, that connection. That's the grace of God. Oh, yeah. Why do you think you're, you're held up as you go through situations and you look back and say, how did I get through that? You look at situations and you look back and realize I had a peace that is unearthly, that passes all human comprehension. Yes, where'd you get that from? I mean, it didn't come with a roll of thunder, did it? Just snuck into you. There was someone who was connecting you with all that love wills to give you. So, love, you see, the act of giving Jesus to us, is the fullness of grace, and that grace is is multifaceted, shows up everywhere. And the Holy Spirit is bringing that to you. That's who you are, that's where you live. And as that grace is given to you, it's given, not like a life jacket, so help us. It is the passionate, you know, the the very moving uh, of God. And it's hilarious. He is filled with joy to give this to you, his child. It's his desire. It comes with his will, but it comes with the laugh of God that echoes through your life. The limitless, limitless personal energy, the determined movement of what he desires that he gives himself to you to be with you to be in you, that all of life and all your work and ministry and being is together with him. Or as you've heard me say a thousand times over, he refuses to be God without us. It's, see, Adam, oh how upside down it all is, Adam wanted to be as God, and he missed the point that God wanted to be as Adam. <laughs> God wills to join us, and that's what's happening here. We're joined by grace. Now, because it's gift. That is, I have nothing to do with this. I, I can't pay for it, can I? Because it's a gift, and it's illegal to pay for a gift, because once you pay for it, it's not a gift. And I can't even say, well, I'll pay by being a good boy for the next 200 years. No, that's called a mortgage. No, you, you, this is gift. And for us humans, there's something very vulnerable about that, vulnerable. I, 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 I feel like I want to do something. I want to protect myself from this unlimited charity. I want to be able to say at least I, 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 I did something. And no, I can't. It's a gift. Gift. He's coming to it. right now. Right now. As you're listening, as I'm speaking, right at this moment, In every tick, every tock, tick tock, it's the gift of God to us. And every tick tock is the energy of love specific to what you're going through now being given to you. That's grace. So you see, Grace is the very opposite of being constantly made aware of your unworthiness. I mean, how would you feel if at Christmas time or whatever, you gave to someone a very precious gift and they looked at you you know that hangdog expression. And they said, but I'm not worthy to receive this. Oh, come on, at least you could say thank you. Uh, Look, do you realize God never, ever calls you unworthy? Satan invented that, and religion took him up on it. God never demeans you. He never calls you to grovel. None of this hang your head. I'm unworthy, I'm no good, I don't deserve it. Do you know what that says to God? That's an insult to God. He has given to you his very self so that he can give no more. And with that self comes all things in life. And he does so with a belly laugh that rocks the world and the universe. He is so thrilled to give to you. This is the announcement that God delights in you. What's love all about? You don't say to your husband or your wife, well, I love you, but you don't deserve it. I mean, that's ridiculous. What religion is nuts? This He delights in us. He so delights that he calls all of heaven to say, rejoice with me. I found him. I found her. That's grace he's giving to us. Grace bestows upon us honor for a person who might in the eyes of the world be a nothing and nobody insignificant, but grace bestows the honor you are the beloved child of God that bestows worth upon you. <laughs> and he gives you his personal attention. Well, that's, an, that's another thing. Grace is, is the gift of God himself. So God gives himself to you, but he is never diminished. You know what I mean? by giving himself to you it doesn't leave him empty and by giving himself to you does not mean that i now don't get anything no he gives himself totally to you in this moment where you are for where you are yet he himself is not left empty more than that he is at the same moment. In fact, more than that, simultaneously, he is giving his total self to me without being diminished. You've got to get used to thinking like God. But this is grace. David spoke of grace, not I mean, he doesn't use the word, but when in Psalm 3 he says of, the, of this incredible God, he said... That that you are my glory, you are, are the lifter of my head. That's it. Don't don't you come on. Some of you at least know this: that grace lifts your head. That is when you were, I mean, so despaired you could hardly lift your head. Life seemed to be the mud at the bottom of your feet. And the grace of God came quietly in and lifted your head and showed you the presence of God with you in that moment. It's your glory when everybody says you had none. He showed you your true glory that you are one with him and he is one with you. Grace is that strength he gives us in union that we walk in this world as the sons of God that we are. So you see, grace isn't merely knowing about God. And however much I honor the song Amazing Grace and know the story behind it, the glorious miracle of John Newton, um, you can sing that, as so many people do, and they get that bloodhound look on their face that religious people get when they sing songs like that. And, and um, but no, it's not knowing about God. It's not knowing God's words. It's, it's, it's not singing about grace. Grace, I say again, is the personal, the immediate presence of God to us. And I hear someone, I heard you. You say, but what, what do I have to do? What do we have to do? I thought I covered that when I talked about the gift. You see, that that's the point. That's what I mean by vulnerable. There's something in my flesh, if it ever had a chance to express itself, that, that must have a place at the table. I've got to have written some sort of check i i have to have done something to deserve this no you see you can't sorry you can't in fact as you tried to do something to get this grace do you realize that's the act of closing all doors and windows to grace you see grace is not trying to have enough faith to somehow attract him to you. Oh dear. That, that, you mean I don't have to have faith for grace? No, grace produces faith. Um, you don't think faith starts with you. No, it says, it's, see there again, Ephesians 2, it's speaking of the grace of God, and it says, there is by faith, and the faith is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. I trust in Jesus and Grace unites me to Him and His faith. Now you, well, that's the glory of grace. I I can be wiped out. I I can be flat on my face. I can be drowning in a puddle. Uh, and grace comes. Grace is, and, and grace lifts me. You say, well, I don't know if I. If I, I I don't know if I believe that. Well. Uh, That doesn't change anything, does it? Grace is, whether you believe it or not. What what do you think awakens a person from their unbelief except grace that sneaks into the darkness and turns all the lights on? You see, are you beginning to get this? Grace is the immediate. I've got to keep saying that, immediate. I mean, he couldn't be closer. Right at this moment I am aware of the immediacy of grace. He is in my deepest self. And initiating. He starts this. He, he's the source here. The presence. He's always with us. He's relentlessly moving toward us to share himself. And have us participate in the process by saying amen. Yes, let it be. And and could I say this? Grace, be in the presence that I'm speaking of. His name, you remember, is I am. And so he's the presence of I am. So that means grace is always I am, which means is now. So... I can't get grace for tomorrow. If grace is amnes, if grace is is now, then this is the only place I can receive grace. Now, in this moment of needing, my need is immediately swallowed up in infinite supply. Presence of I am is now. So I never think of, well, I guess I've got to pray for grace tomorrow, I've got to meet that man. No, when you are on your way to meet that man, you will find grace to be on your way. And when you meet him, you will find grace to be meeting him. You, You see, grace is always immediate. Grace is always there. So he himself father and son and holy spirit is the source and is the reason for grace grace continually i say again moving in us moving upon us and always good and always kind and always gentle and always patient and never condemning grace And he's not there because we did something so fantastic to attract him. He is because he loves you, even when you don't know it. He loves you, even when you don't believe in him. Grace, this abundance of grace. I think you'd recognize that's what I've been talking about, the abundance. I can't move anywhere in life without this grace. It's abundantly available all the time from the joyful desire of God to be with us and in us. I I mentioned it. Let me quickly say it again. There in John chapter 1, it speaks of grace upon grace. And that's a phrase that has gotten a hold of me for decades. Grace upon grace. So you see, the grace that was given, that unique strength that the pressures of this particular time demanded, and I had divine strength, and I had the courage to use the strength to face the events. Well, that wasn't something that happened and then sort of went away. No, That was the wave of grace that you needed for that event. But while that was being fulfilled, another wave was already coming in to whatever happened in the following hours. So the tide is always coming in with grace, grace upon grace. There's no dead spot. You know what I mean? Dead spot? Uh, when, when you're trying to make a phone call and you realize you've stepped outside of the whatever um, <clears throat> and, and there's a dead spot and you have to go you see those people walking around with their phones in the air trying to pick it up and I've, I've been at retreats where in the middle of nowhere we have to go up on a high hill and hold your phone up well he says no dead spots with grace isn't that fantastic? doesn't matter where I am in the bottom of the valley of the shadow of death, or dancing on the top of Mount Zion. I am in this energy, this sea of grace that is and always is and is always I am. And through it all I hear the delighted laughter of God for he's the hilarious giver, That's very important. You've got to get out of this negative solemnity. There's a time to be solemn. There's a time to be still. There's a time to be silent. I'm into that. But you've got to realize that whenever we deal with this, this triune God, that he's always about to burst into the laughter he, he's always on the edge of an explosion of joy. not amazing? I, I know we live in a world of complaining and misery and anxiety uh, where everything is down and we always expect the worst scenario. I, I know that's the world you live in. You feel at home there. And, and so to be around a God who is always in a state of joy... Joy in who he is, and joy in who you are in him, and joy of the purposes that nothing can stop. In fact, when you go into the Old Testament, just to read it, you know, if you'd never read it before, it would help, because then you get the the full smack of it. Have you noticed in the Psalms, especially the Psalms, the call to joy, and I believe it's around 11 different words in the Hebrew language to describe every movement of joy. That shows, you know, how many words in a language to describe something shows where mostly where they live, you know. When um, when I lived um, in the north, I had many words for icy weather. (laughs) Many words. I mean, we talked of blizzards and we talked of whiteouts. We talked of ice storms and we talked of sleet storms. And we, you know, I don't know how many words we had to describe every movement of cold weather. Do you realize down around the equator, they don't have any of those words? (laughs) None. Why? Because it's not part of their life. And I find many people, they don't have any joy words in their life because, well, it's not part of their life. Well, I go into the Psalms and I say, it's about 11 different Hebrew words to describe joy, this mood of joy, that mood of joy, that movement of joy. You Look, you read through the Psalms, and honestly, it, it's they're rowdy, you know? The Psalms are loud and boisterous with a lot of physical joy. Oh, none of this hang their head and beat your chest and I'm not worthy. No, they're lifting their They're dancing, for goodness sake. It's physical joy, and they shout to the Lord. Read it. It's as if you've moved into an apartment complex and they're having a loud party next door. And you ask, what on earth is going on? And they said, the Trinity moved in, you know. <laughs> and why all of this joy? Why? Read the Psalms is because He's just nuts over you. He delights in you. That's why He gives. Look, Luke 15, my sort of anchor chapter of my life, um, it's the chapter of grace. The, the the shepherd going for the sheep, the woman for the coin, the father for the sons, they are giving themselves totally to the lost item. But always that giving, that grace that is given is fulfilled in wild joy. For he says, you know, rejoice with me. And that word rejoice, you see, it's 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 a big word that embraces your total person and and so it is actually the word means to leap spin around in the air for sheer joy um but of course by the time you got there your mind is involved your emotions involved your imagination is involved you have just become one ball of joy well that's grace Hmm, this doesn't fit into a world of complaining and blaming and sighing and. No, it doesn't. This is grace. Grace assures us that we are not separated from God. That, of course, was the essence of sin. That's what Satan that was it, that we are separate from God, we go our way, he goes his way. That is the oxygen of religion. As long as religion can convince you you're separated from God and they've got the formula for you to get to him, well, they're in business. But you see, grace assures us that's all the satanic lie. You're not separated from God. You might, did I say might? We did separate from God in the lie that took over our mind. And we believed and we built our lives upon the lie that we were separate from God. But he never separated from us. He pursued us intently. This is something that could keep you up all night if you meditate on these things, that we don't have to get to him, nor does he assure us that he's going to get to us. He was coming to us since the moment sin entered the world. He never blinked. And all of the Old Testament is the story of his continual coming. But in Jesus, he has ultimately come to us. And that's it. And the Holy Spirit is the God who is ever to us, with us, and in us, assuring us of non-separation. Someone said, I... I came to Jesus. I know what he meant. I know, I'm I'm not being awkward. I know what he meant. But I had to assure him, it's a good job he came to you first. You know. All of our coming to Jesus is not that Jesus opens the door and says, well, look who came. No. He came to us. He joined himself to us and we woke up one day and realized that. Yeah. Yeah. I made my decision for Jesus. Well, it's a good job he made his decision for you before you were even born. (laughs) The initiative of this incredible God, his love, his will, why did he make you? In order to love you and embrace you and give himself totally to you in every moment of your life. There it is. And so in union with him, in in this this God, I'm inside of him through Jesus Christ. Union. He's abundantly enough. I mean, we read that text. It's nothing but abundantly this and abundantly that. And in every situation, and every here and every there, is abundantly enough which results in me an an unearthly contentment you talk about wealth people think if i had x number of dollars then i would be content no you wouldn't no I mean, and that that's not just a preacher talking you you just study the people who had the money they're not content isn't it amazing everything that we believe, money could buy. we believe money can buy peace. You know, if I had that much money, they'd not have peace of mind. Well, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. And again, the statistics of people who have the money. They don't have peace of mind. Well, they spend most of the money buying drugs so they don't even have to know they're alive. Isn't that amazing? And yet we are content... Talk about wealth! This grace, no wonder it's no wonder it says the riches of His grace, and the word riches there in English means filthy rich. It means rich to the point of stupidity. You got so much money you don't think money. That's the word that's used. The riches of His grace. We have content. We have peace. Peace. That isn't because everything's going right. It it doesn't matter how everything is going. We have peace that passes human comprehension or calculation. We're self-sufficient in his sufficiency. He's now present in you, and he is giving to you wave upon wave, moment by moment, tick by tock, Situation by situation. (laughs) Every every epistle of the New Testament, almost every, begins with the words, grace to you. That's a punchy word. It doesn't say, now I think you should think about grace. No, bam, grace to you. He's always coming. He's always coming. I live in the middle of his coming and arrival. Present, and, and maybe I shouldn't bring this up when I've only got a few minutes to go. But what the heck? Do you realize he doesn't have to get to you? You see, that—that's talking about God as if He lived in our time-space world. You know, if I. Want to talk to you? I'm going to get to you. Even if you were in one of our retreats and I saw you across the room, I would have to walk across the room to get to you. Do you realize? (laughs) Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are with them simultaneously. Yeah. You see, the fastest thing within our world of time and space is the speed of light but there again you see you still have it the speed of light might be jolly fast but it still has to get there father son and holy spirit doesn't have to get there i live you live we live simultaneously where he is i am as he is so are we in this world I, I, You see, you, you lose all sense of poverty mentality. You lose all sense of deficit living. You know, so many prayer meetings are the wails of paupers. You know, you go to a prayer meeting, oh God, I don't have this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. We don't have this, they don't have that, please give them. Oh, please. You are living in the sea of love that is ever giving himself to you simultaneously with the Trinity. (laughs) You ever seen fish having a prayer meeting? Oh, give us more. Give us water. Give us water. Hey, kid, you're in the middle of it. It's all around you. I want water to show up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's slopping in your face right now. Maybe I shouldn't have brought that up because it opens up another whole world. But it's a world of incredible, wondrous peace. In Him I live, I move, I have my I amness. He's giving Himself to you in this very moment. Right now. You're enabled You're edified. You are encouraged. You're strengthened. You are beloved. You have the strength to love. Well, there it is. You're living inside of the grace of God. You're living inside of the grace of God in superlative terms. I mean, again, there's nothing poverty here. Abundant grace, abounding grace, lavish grace, as Ephesians 1. Infinitely enough, satisfied, complete, possessing vast wealth, the riches of His grace. Or as Ephesians 3, filled with the fullness of God. Grace is the enough of God, taken to the unlimited, and is now... Where you're at. Look, the, the um, mirror translation of this verse says, You can never exaggerate grace. Yeah, that's it. You can never exaggerate. Because when you've exaggerated, you've only just got to the tip edge of it. See? See? So, God is incapable of a poverty mindset. He never has need. He is, in his being, the fullness of everlasting enough. That's what it, I am. Whatever you bring up, I am. And therefore, he is, right at this moment, simultaneously to himself. He's everything that you need in your the core of your being. He's everything you need in every situation that you find yourself in. He's everything you need. And of course, that's where this fits into the chapters 8 and 9. Now because of that, then I can be abundant in my giving finances to those who are in need and to further this grace, and I can Yes, there's a certain recklessness because I'm living in abundance. I can give in abundance because I know abundance is always flowing in. So look, realize the presence of grace in your life. I mean, wake up to it. Let the Holy Spirit, let grace wake you up to grace. Expect grace in every moment of life. In fact, every time you read in the Bible the word hope, it would be better to say expect. Because when you say hope, it pushes it off into the future. Well, I hope so. Now that word in the Greek means expect, which is now, right now. As I'm coming to the close of this, my expectancy is that grace is enough to bring this to you, as I never could. I also expect that when I walk out of the door of this studio, I will have grace to be and to receive and to do whatever is on the other side of that door. Realize the presence of grace that you are embraced in him. And then it says that you now in abundance become a giver of grace. Yes, you go into people's lives who are still asleep and don't know the grace of God and still live in their miserable dark world of complaining and misery and unhappiness, if you can even bother with that word. You come and you're the fullness of joy and you're the fullness of peace because you know the grace of God in this place and you see their need and you know the grace and so on and so on. And so you become the very hands of the grace of God with the same joy of God. That's what it's all about. In fact, you see, when you've lived through a situation saturated, permeated with the grace of God... You now have a confidence and an authority to give that grace because it was given to you to give away. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 1 and 2. So you see, my grace, the grace that I've received in the last week or days, you're getting some of that right now. Only it's a proven grace. It's been there, you see can I be intensely personal and be finished? Somebody came to me after the passing of my wife a few weeks ago. And they said, and they, they were very honest. They weren't being sneering. They, they said, well, do you believe it all now? All the, all those, and they use the word exaggeration. They said, all those exaggerated things you've said about love and strength and grace are now, now that you've been where you've been, uh, do you still believe that? Does it work? And I said, "I, I guess I should apologize. I was not telling you the truth." And, and they looked wide-eyed. I said, "You see, because now that I've lived through these days, I have discovered that the love of God and the grace of God is a million times more than I've ever preached it to be. And so I have to apologize to the world. I should have said the love of God is infinitely more than I said. The grace of God is deeper, vaster, higher than I'd ever dreamed it was, as I have discovered in these last weeks. And I guess I'll finish there because that's the truth. And that's where this message came from. So, now the blessing. Oh yes, the blessing, the grace of the God who is love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in whom you live, in whom you move and are moved, in whom you discover your I am, bless you with opened eyes to see the world of the personal energy of the God who is love, wherein you live. So I bless you with those opened eyes and declare that is the way it is.